First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, church, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Acts 17? Acts 17. We have been walking with Paul on what we now call his second missionary journey. In our story today, Paul takes the message of Jesus into the ancient city of Athens. Uh, Now, by the time that Paul came to Athens in the first century AD, uh, the city was, as one person put it, in the afternoon of her glory. Uh, The real uh, golden years for Athens was about four to five hundred years before Paul uh, got there. But uh, still, even in Paul's day, Athens was a sight to behold. Uh, Impressive temples and beautiful architecture uh, were everywhere. Athens was still the, the cultural and intellectual center of the Roman Empire. Uh, after all, this, this was the city where the philosophers Plato, Aristotle, and before them Socrates were from. Uh, and so what would the intellectual elites in Athens think of this man, Paul of Tarsus, and the message that he would bring them about a Jewish carpenter? Well, let's read and find out. Acts 17, starting in verse 16. Word of God says, Now while Paul waited for them, waited for Silas and Timothy to join him in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising, 
Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us now to read your perfect word, Father, to hear it, to study it. Lord, we pray in these moments that your Holy Spirit would drive this word into our hearts, that not only may we believe it, but Father, may we be faithful to share it with those who are around us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've called this series Jesus in Times Square uh, because in the same way that Paul took the message of Jesus to his culture, we are called to take the message of Jesus to our culture. He preached in cities like Corinth and Ephesus and here in Athens. We're called to preach in Times Square and New York and in other cities around the country, but especially here in Melbourne and Palm Bay where he has placed us. And so how do we do that? What can we learn from the Apostle Paul from this day in history when he walked into the ancient city of Athens almost 2,000 years ago? I think there's an awful lot that we can learn from this text, but for the sake of time today, let's just think about three. Uh, First off, to preach Jesus in our culture, in our Times Square, we must be perceptive about our culture. We must be perceptive about our culture. Certainly when Paul walked into Athens, he was spiritually perceptive. He saw the city of Athens through different eyes than most people did. And that caused him to act differently. It caused him to speak differently. Bible teacher John Stott put it this way. He said, we do not speak like Paul Because we do not feel like Paul, and this is because we do not see like Paul. If we want to speak like Paul, if we want to carry the message of Jesus to our culture the same way that Paul did, it starts with seeing the world around us the way that Paul saw his. And again, that means seeing it through spiritually perceptive eyes. When most people saw Athens, What captured their attention was what I alluded to earlier, the beautiful architecture, the magnificent temples, the beautiful sculptures, the art. It was enough to to take your breath away. And I'm sure Paul saw all of that and in a sense appreciated the artistic beauty of it. But verse 16 says there was something else that really caught his attention. There was something that he knew, uh, he perceived, was underlying everything that he was looking at. Look in verse 16 again. It says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Given over there means to be 
full, even to the point of overflowing. Athens was overflowing with idols. Uh, One has uh, said that uh, there were more than 30,000 idols in ancient Athens. And that just counts the public statues that were tucked away in just about every crevice of the city. Every uh, family would have had another idol or statue in their own home, which would have even been added to that number. One person famously said it was easier to meet an idol than to meet a man when you walk down the streets of Athens. And, And that's what Paul saw. That's what caught his attention, the rampant idolatry. The false worship of pseudo-gods that had gripped the heart of the city that he was walking around in. We'll come back to it in a minute, but what he saw broke his heart. But this is where we need to remember, church, that we are living in Athens now. Uh, There is no difference uh, from our culture today and Athens back then. We're, we're living in Athens, first of all, because like, like in Athens, we have idols everywhere. Uh, our idols just have different names. Uh, we may not have statues in our houses to Zeus or to Bacchus or to Athena or to any of the others, but we have other things in our culture that we are indeed worshiping, other things that we are bowing down to, other things that we are giving our life to, the, the idols in our culture, the things we're bowing down to are things like money and success and fame and pleasure and sex and material comfort and security and sports and Netflix and on and on and on it goes. Every heart of every American that does not have Christ on the throne is being ruled right now by another substitute God. Every person who right now is not looking to Christ to save them, is looking to something else to save them, is looking to some other functional Savior that they believe will bring them satisfaction and joy and purpose and meaning in life. And so again, we're in Athens too. We have idols everywhere if we are able to perceive them. But also we're in Athens because we also have many philosophies around us that are arrayed against the truth. In Athens, the the worldwide center of philosophy, certainly Paul encountered uh, some other philosophies. And by the way, they were not philosophies that were especially especially warm to uh, the message that Paul was preaching. Uh, Paul went into the Jewish synagogue and preached there. Then it says he went out into the Agora, to the marketplace, talked with people that he met on the street about the Lord. And when he was there, verse 18 says, a few different groups of philosophers uh, heard what Paul was doing and, and tracked him down. Look at verse 18. It says, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So there's two schools of philosophical thought that are mentioned in that verse, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now these two schools of philosophy were radically different from one another. The Epicureans were materialists who believed that our bodies dissolve after death. 
They believed in the Greek pantheon of gods, but they felt like, you know, the gods are removed from us. They're, they're pretty much indifferent to whatever we do down here. And so they embraced a philosophy of hedonism. Their idea was do whatever feels good to you. Now, the Stoics were, were almost the opposite from that. The Stoics were, were pantheists. They believed that there was something of God, something of a divine spark that was in all of creation. They felt like the key to success in life was to be able to master yourself to the point that no matter what situation or circumstance you might face, uh, you were able to handle it calmly. We, we get our word stoic from that, right? Somebody who is stoic, somebody who doesn't show a whole lot of emotion about anything and that's, that's how, excuse me, how this group uh, thought that you should live. And so on the one hand, again, the Epicureans said, uh, just live it up, do what feels good. Now, the Stoics, on the other hand, said, tough it out, grin and bear it, no matter how hard life gets. And I think you can tell neither one of those philosophies gives you a whole lot of hope. Neither one of those philosophies gives life a whole lot of meaning either. And yet, despite the obvious deficiencies in their philosophical systems, these learned Athenian philosophers were making fun of the Apostle Paul. Uh, they called him a babbler there in verse 18. And the word babbler is a word that literally means a seed picker. Uh, they, they were describing Paul as a little stupid chicken that was just going around on the ground, picking up little seeds with his beak, and they were saying he doesn't have any original ideas of his own. He's just picking up little seeds that other people have dropped. He's kind of throwing them all in his basket. It's just a hodgepodge of, uh, of ideas that doesn't really hold together. It isn't really coherent. He, he's just an amateur philosopher. That's what they were saying. But it's important to see this and to, to take this in, that when Paul walked into the city of Athens and began to share with people about Christ, he was not encountering people who were just a blank slate. He wasn't meeting people who said, well, you know, we don't believe anything right now, so we're just all ears, Paul. Tell us, tell us about Jesus. No, that, that, that's not the case at all. He was encountering people who already had a belief system. He was encountering people who already had a worldview, and it was a worldview that in many ways was diametrically opposed to the message that Paul was preaching. In church, we need to see the same thing is happening today. When we share with our friends and we share with our neighbors about Christ, we're not sharing with people who are just a blank slate. We are sharing with people who already have a worldview. And there are so many different worldviews in our culture and philosophical systems in our culture that have lifted themselves up against the message of Christ. You might meet someone, a friend of yours, who has the philosophy of secular humanism, even if they wouldn't define for you what that means. They might have the philosophy of materialism or hedonism or universalism or political activism, which for many people has almost taken on a religious fervor today. Or it may be some combination of these different philosophies that they've thrown together and mixed in their minds. We, we live in an age where many people would, would not even like on that last slide, that last point where the word truth is, is capitalized. Because many people in our culture today would say, no, every person has their own truth with a lowercase t. It's my truth and your truth. But it's arrogant for anybody to even claim that they could possibly know the truth with a capital T. That, that's the philosophy of our day, isn't it? And we live in Athens 
Also, where there are many philosophies arrayed against Christ, arrayed against the truth, where we as evangelicals will be seen in much the same light Paul was seen as an uninformed little seed picker. We live where idols are everywhere. We live where philosophies are arrayed against the truth. And of course, we also live where sadly, God is unknown to most people. In a minute, we'll talk about that idol that had the inscription to the unknown God and how Paul uses that. But we need to recognize that in America today, God is largely unknown. It's unknown to most of our neighbors. And how tragic that is, how sad that is, that the God who made us, that the God who died to save us, that the God who rose again for us is unknown to so many of our friends and neighbors and co-workers and even some of our family members. And the reason that so many people around us do not have hope is that they simply do not know God. And so when we see that, when God gives us that spiritual perception to see what is really going on in our culture, when we see our culture the way that Paul saw his, hopefully we'll also feel the way that Paul felt. That's the second thing we need to see. Hopefully we'll also be provoked in our spirit. Provoked in our spirit. Before we get to Paul's speech in Athens, which really takes up the bulk of this chapter, I, I want to make sure we, we don't miss uh, what it said in verse 16 about the way Paul responded to what he saw. Look at that verse once more. It says, Now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. The word provoked there means to be upset. It means to be deeply bothered about something. And I think this provocation in Paul's spirit was a mixture of, of a righteous anger that what he was seeing is not what should have been taking place. And it was a mixture of that righteous anger also with, with brokenness and compassion for the people that he saw in that city who were gripped by idolatry. Paul is bothered because he sees the world through a biblical worldview. And Paul knew that every single person he saw in the city of Athens was created by the one true and living God. Paul knew that God had made every single person he saw for his worship and for his glory. And yet as he looked around at that city and he saw all the idols that they're bowing down to, he recognized, as one person put it, that underneath their sin problem, they had a worship problem. That they were giving their worship to something that was not actually God. And when he saw that, it provoked him. It bothered him deeply. And he knew he had to do something about it. So here's the question for us to think about today. When we look out and we see the idolatry that is rampant in our culture, when we see all of the things that our culture is bowing down to and worshiping other than God, does it bother us at all? Does it bother us at all or have we grown so accustomed to it and so used to it that we don't even recognize it anymore? And if that is the case, then church, we need to pray and we need to ask God to give us a holy irritation at the idolatry that we see around us. 
But you know, the other trap that I sometimes see believers falling into, it's almost the opposite of this. I meet some believers who are very bothered by everything that they see in culture. They're believers who are looking around and they're seeing that our country is running away from God and from his word almost as fast as we possibly can. They see that clearly. They see that accurately. And they are plenty upset about it. But the problem is in the response. The problem is that for some of those folks, their answer to it is essentially to curse the darkness. To to throw up their hands in the air and say, well, oh, well, America's a goner. I guess it's time to move or maybe to build one of those underground bunkers and store up on tuna or something like that and wait for the apocalypse, right? That, that, that's one way to respond. But notice that isn't what Paul did, is it? He was bothered by what he saw in Athens too. But he didn't throw his hands up into the air and curse the darkness. He didn't give up. No, instead he moved in. And what he saw compelled him to speak about Christ. And it says he did that every single day day. He went into the marketplace and whoever he found, whoever crossed his path, he shared with them a word about the hope that's found in Christ. And so Christian, let me ask you something. In the last seven days, from last Sunday until now, which have you done more of? Telling people about Jesus or complaining about the direction that our country is heading in? In the last seven days, have you done more witnessing or more whining? And listen, the answer to that question for me and for you really reveals whether or not we are responding to what we see in the same way that Paul responded to what he saw. He responded by telling people about Christ. And church, we must do the same. It's why we're here. So not only must we be perceptive, Not only must we be provoked, but also we must be prepared to share the gospel that our world needs to hear. You know, every year uh, I take time to to get away and uh, to plan out my messages for the upcoming year and uh, pray about what God would have me share. I I try to lay out those messages for Sunday mornings uh, a full year in advance. And so when I laid out this series through uh, the book of Acts, uh, I, I had no idea that uh, this day, this historic day in the life of our church, where we would break ground on our new worship center, would fall on this day as we come to Acts chapter 17. Uh, but I am so thankful that God did that, that God lined all of that up, because I honestly cannot think of a better passage than this one for this day in the life of our church because we are living in modern-day Athens. And the ministry that will happen, Lord willing, in that new worship center for years to come is going to happen in a city and in a nation that very much has the philosophy and the worldview of ancient Athens so long ago. And I think Paul models so well for us here in Acts 17 that we cannot, as the people of God, walk away and retreat from the battlefield. We cannot abdicate the role that God has given us in the public square. No, we must continue to press in. We must continue to engage with our neighbors in the hope of the Lord and to share that with them. And we need to be prepared, I believe, to share with our neighbors very much in a similar fashion to the way the Apostle Paul shares here. 
in ancient Athens. Verse 19 through 21 explains how even though they were making fun of Paul as a little seed picker, they still wanted to hear what this seed picker had to say. And verse 21 tells us why that is. It's because these guys, they, they didn't go to football games. They didn't go to baseball games. And their, their national pastime was sitting around and talking about philosophy. That's what verse 21 says. They could do that all day. They could sit around and talk about ideas. And so here they had some new ideas. And so they took Paul and they took him, it says, to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was both a place in the city of Athens and a group of people. And most likely here, it refers to both. Paul was being given an opportunity to share in front of this group of men, 30 men, that were the philosophical elites in the city of Athens known as the Areopagus. By the way, this is the same group that 800 years before this, their predecessors, put Socrates on trial, if you remember that. Now the Apostle Paul is standing in front of this group 800 years later, their successors. But he also was most likely giving this speech on the Areopagus, this hill that is named for Ares, the Greek god of war. Uh, if you're reading from the King James Version, you might read the word Mars Hill there. And that's because the Roman equivalent of Ares, the Roman god of war, is Mars. And so here is Paul standing on Mars Hill speaking to the Areopagus. If you can picture it in your mind, right above his head where he was speaking would have been uh, the rest of the Acropolis with the Parthenon sitting there, right? And we still have the ruins. Even the ruins of the Parthenon are beautiful and breathtaking to behold. Uh, imagine when it was in the height of its splendor. Paul was standing just below that on this little hill known as Mars Hill speaking to the Areopagus. This is where he gave this famous address in verses 22 to verse 34. With a couple of minutes that we have left, uh, we won't be able to walk through every word of every line, but there are a few lessons that we need to take away today about how Paul shared. Because again, we're living in modern day Athens, and we need to learn to share the gospel in much the same way that Paul does here. And so first off, like Paul, let's find common ground common ground, what some might call an opener. I, I alluded earlier to what uh, Paul's opener was, but you see it there in the first verses of his speech, verses 22 and 23. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Paul starts out by saying, I can see that you are very religious. Uh, despite what some people have said, I really don't believe that uh, Paul was trying to insult his audience uh, with the very first line of his speech. I honestly think he was saying this genuinely. I, I perceive that you're religious. I, I perceive that you care about spiritual things. And therefore, you're going to care about what I have to say to you because what I'm saying fits in an area of interest for you. And then he points out that in this sea of statues that he walked through, as he walked through the streets of Athens, that he came across one particular statue that caught his eye because it had an inscription there that said, To the unknown God. 
Now, most likely the Greeks had put that statue there, you know, just to kind of cover all of their bases, right? Now, even though we have 30,000 other statues, just in case we missed some God somewhere, we want to make sure we don't offend that God. And so we're just going to kind of cover that by having this one statue here that says, if we don't know about you, we worship you too. And so Paul seizes upon that and he says, that God that you said you didn't know about, that's the God I'm going to tell you about. Now, in just a minute, he's going to say, and by the way, that's actually the only God that there is. And he's going to sweep away all 30,000 of their other gods into the wastebasket. But before he does that, he finds common ground. Before he does that, he finds a way to get into this spiritual conversation. And in our culture, we need to look for openings to do that as well. Points of contact with our friends who may not be familiar with Scripture. Points of contact that give us a chance, an opportunity to lead into a spiritual conversation. So much more to say about that, but we need to move on. Also, like Paul, we need to start with creation. Start with creation. If you look in verses 24, 25, and 26, that's what Paul is doing. He goes back to the beginning. He's telling them how God created the earth and everything in it. He tells them that the God who made them uh, isn't a God who is dependent on us, but actually it's the opposite. We are totally, entirely dependent upon him. In, In verse 26, I wish we had more time to spend here because in verse 26, he basically banishes racism by explaining that we all came from the same man, that God has created us all. Now, there may have been a day in our country where we didn't have to start with creation. There there may have been a day in our country where there was enough general knowledge of God and general understanding that God made us that we didn't have to go back that far. But that day is not now. We, We can no longer in our culture go straight to Jesus died for you and rose again because for most people who have no familiarity with the scripture, that doesn't make any sense. We have to start where the Bible does. We have to go all the way back and explain how God has created us. That God has made us for a relationship with himself. That we have sinned against God and broken that relationship through our sin. And because of that, we stand in the path of God's judgment, who we've sinned against. And only then does it begin to make sense that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That he died for our sin at the cross and rose again on the third day. But we need to start where Paul does. We need to start where the Bible does. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But also, like Paul, we need to tell how God is near and God is knowable. Verses 27 and 28 really make that point. And again, he's trying to bridge the gap and make a connection. And so he quotes from two of their own prophets to make this case to them. He says to them, in him we live and move and have our being. He's saying God is not hiding from you. God is near to you. God wants to know you. God wants to have a relationship with you. But like it says there in verse 27, because of our sin, we are groping in the dark to try to find him. 
And so at a certain point, just like Paul did, we also have to say this. We have to explain how we have all sinned, specifically how we've all sinned by worshiping everything else but God. Paul does, as we've said, he finds points of contact and he builds a bridge. But notice, he does not, in that process, speak the gospel in an unfaithful way. He is still faithful to the gospel. He's still faithful to challenge their faulty thinking, particularly in the area of idolatry. He goes right after that, and and nowhere does he go after that more directly than he does in verse 29, where he says this, Therefore, since we're the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. He's, he's saying those words in a city that had 30,000 statues made out of gold and silver. He's saying that underneath the Parthenon that was filled with statues made out of gold and silver. And he's saying we ought not to do that because God is God alone who is the creator of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands, does not need anything from us, And we're called to worship him. And so he calls them out. He puts his finger on the problem. And then also he does this, which we need to do as well. He reminds them that a day of judgment is coming. And we must repent of our sin. Look at verses 30 and 31. He says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, now that Christ has come, He commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This truth that there is a day of judgment coming when we will all stand before the God who made us and give an account of our lives it challenged the Greek way of thinking. But you know what? It also challenges our American way of thinking. Because in America today, we don't like to think that there will ever be a judgment. We don't like to think there will ever be a day that we'll stand and give an account of our lives to God. We like to think that God will one day allow everyone into heaven, no matter what they believe, no matter what they've done, But the Bible says otherwise. From start to finish, the Bible says very clearly that if a person dies in their sin without a relationship with Jesus Christ, then the only thing that awaits them is eternal judgment. And church, we have to be faithful to share that message with the culture around us, even though it's difficult to share. Because until people understand that they are lost, until people understand that because of their sin, a judgment day is coming, they will not understand why the good news is so very, very good. Last of all, that's what we have to get to, the good news. We have to focus on where hope is is found. And hope is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can see that Paul mentions the resurrection there in verse 31. You know, most people believe that what we have here in Acts 17 is likely not Paul's entire speech that he gave. Uh, Most of the speeches that were given at the Areopagus lasted for two to three hours. 
And so likely this is the outline of Paul's address that he gave on this occasion. I think it's highly likely that Paul also spoke about the cross of Christ, how Jesus died for our sin. For one thing, it's hard to speak about the resurrection unless you first speak about the death of Christ on the cross. It does seem that at this point, his speech abruptly ends, and that could be for a couple of reasons. It could be because they cut him off because they didn't agree with what he was saying about the resurrection, or it could be because Paul felt that what he had shared so far was enough for lesson number one, and that he would continue to share with those in the crowd whose hearts God was, was dealing. But eventually, notice, Paul got to Jesus. And we have to get to Jesus too, because it's only in the name of Jesus that salvation is found. The reaction to Paul's speech this day in Athens was a mixed reaction, right? It says some people mocked him. Uh, Some people said, you know, we want to hear a little bit more about this. But verse 34 says some people believed, including one of the 30 members of the Areopagite, a man named Dionysius some others as well. And and you know, that's how it will be today when we bring the message of Jesus to Times Square, when we bring the message of Jesus to Melbourne and Palm Bay. The reaction will be mixed. It always is. There'll be some people who say, I want to hear more. There'll be some people who mock, who laugh it off. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul wrote that the message of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks. It's foolishness to many Americans today who are wise in their own estimation. But Paul also wrote this in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. Church, would you stand with me? I wonder if there is one here today who would say, you know, for the first time in my life, I see it. I I see that um, God has created me. I I see that I I have spent my whole life up until this moment not living for him, not worshiping him, worshiping myself, worshiping other idols. I lived up until this point as if there was never a judgment day that was ever going to come. But now I'm, I'm faced with that reality. I'm faced with that truth. That judgment day is coming when I will stand before God. And, 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 and up until today, I'm not ready for that day to come. But I believe what the Bible says. I believe God loves me. I believe he sent his son Jesus to pay for my sin, for my worship of everything but him. That he died for that sin on the cross and all my other sin. That he rose again on the third day. And because he did, life is available to me. Forgiveness is available to me. Peace and hope and joy are available to me. Purpose and meaning in life are available to me that I can't find anywhere else. I can only find it in knowing the God who created me and put me on this planet. And if you're here and you say, that's me, I need to receive that gift of life today. 
I want to ask you to come. As soon as we start to sing, leave your seat and come. You can bring someone with you if you want and speak with me. Speak with one of the other pastors who'll be here. Maybe there's another decision you need to make today. Maybe you already have trusted in Christ, but you've, you've never been baptized yet. You can do that this afternoon at the beach, four o'clock. Maybe today is the day for you to go public and say, I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I wanna be baptized this afternoon. You come and let us know that right now. Maybe you're here and God's leading you to become a part of this faith family. You can come and let us know that too. So you come, whenever God's saying you come right now as we sing to him.